The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Now, if you please open your Bibles to chapter 6 of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. Today we continue our study of Christian warfare, and our focus today is on the great enemy who is the opposition in this conflict. Now, I mention again that the Bible terms our Christian lives as warfare. It's a fight using familiar terms to people who were used to seeing soldiers that were in their occupied territory. They used warfare, uh, and Paul used this to describe how the Christian life is a struggle over the forces of evil. In the end of his life, Paul said that he fought a good fight, he kept the faith, and he meant that he was opposed by, by many enemies, and there was this fight, and there were hardships, and there were sufferings, and there, there was the discouragement of, of a world of evil that is against Christ, and he battled continually to hold on to the faith when enemies were trying so hard to shake his faith. Well, as he passed the mantle of faithful pastor on to his follower Timothy, he wrote that Timothy must endure the troubles and afflictions that oppress the believer, and as good soldiers of Jesus Christ, he must not be entangled with the affairs of this life. But he teaches that we as God's people are to put all of our spiritual energy into this fight that we might strive to please the one who's chosen us to be soldiers. Now, in 2 Corinthians, he wrote that although we are in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. And this means that our fight is a spiritual fight. And even those enemies that are human, enemies that we can see, enemies that are in the flesh, these all do their work under the authority of the king of another kingdom. They're led by a terrible master who incites them against us. And the one who is that enemy who fights against us is the one that I want to talk to you about today. He is the arch enemy of God, which makes him the enemy of God's people. Now, as we look at this text in Ephesians, the apostle describes the warfare and he identifies our enemy. In verse number 10 of Ephesians 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, very clearly in these scriptures, the apostle says that we are fighting the devil. He identifies the enemy. Well, I want to discuss this enemy, but before I do, I want to briefly mention the beginning of verse number 12, where Paul says that we don't fight against flesh and blood. Now, you, you might say, well, I, I have never seen the devil. I've never met the devil, but I have met that person at work that ridicules my faith. 
I have a boss who won't let me mention that I believe in Jesus. There are people that turned against me when I put my faith in Christ and became a Christian. And these are all enemies that I can see. But we notice, according to the apostle, that the fight is not really against them. Jesus said that we are to pray for them. He said we're to love our enemies and bless those who persecute us. Our fight is not against them, but it's against the one who controls them. It's not flesh and blood that we fight. It's this list of spiritual forces that we see in verse number 12. And these are all headed up by the chief enemy, who is the devil. Well, let me say first that devil is not his name. Devil is a description of his character. Most often in the scriptures, he is referred to as Satan. And we can use Satan as a name, but Satan is, is also a description of his character. Devil means slanderer. Satan means adversary. He is the chief adversary of God. He is an accuser. He is a slanderer. Now, of course, we understand that God is the creator of all. God created everything that there is. So how did we end up with the devil? Well, first, let's examine Satan's origin. Where did Satan originate? Now, our study is Christian warfare, and it's not my purpose today to do an in-depth study of Satan. Uh, a few years ago, we did an in-depth study, so we'll not do it now. But I would like to say a few things that will remind us of who this is who's on the other side of this Christian conflict. I mentioned a few things about Satan last week, and we'll expand just a bit on those things that I mentioned. And this will prepare us for next week when we're going to talk about the allies, our allies in this conflict. Now, there are many people who believe that the devil is, is simply a force. They believe that he is a, a metaphor for the influence of evil. Well, it's certainly true that the devil influences evil, but he's more than an influence himself. He is the embodiment of evil. He is a being. He is alive. He exists. He has a form that is made for the spiritual world. Now, he doesn't have a physical body, and that's the reason that you can't see him. But as Paul said, believers in heaven will have a body that's made for spiritual existence. So the devil has a spiritual body that's made for spiritual existence. He is a fallen angel, and angels are described in places of Scripture with spiritual bodies. In other words, Satan is a being who inhabits the spiritual world. Satan is not eternal. God is eternal, but Satan is not. Satan is a created being, but he wasn't created as an evil being. In the original creation, God created and said that everything was good. Satan was not created as an adversary, and thus he wasn't evil. But he was created as Lucifer, an angel of light. And it's likely that he was the most beautiful and powerful of all of God's angels. But then Lucifer fell into sin. That sin is described in Isaiah 14 and in Ezekiel 28. And there it tells us that his heart was lifted in pride and he wanted to be exalted above God. He wanted to take God's place of power and authority. And so Lucifer rebelled and tried to overthrow God. 
And the Bible indicates that in his rebellion, he convinced one third of all the angels to follow him. In Matthew 25, 41, Jesus referred to the devil and his angels. Now, if you look at our text in Ephesians 6, Paul said that we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And many people believe that these are references to evil angels, and the distinction between them is an indication that there is a hierarchy of evil. And Satan sits atop of this hierarchy. Satan, we might say, is the five-star general of all evil powers. He directs all the battles that are in this warfare. Uh, he, he directs them against the souls of God's people. And let me mention also that because Satan is a created being, he doesn't have the same attributes as God. God can be everywhere at one time. God is omnipresent everywhere at once. There's no place in this universe where God is not. And God is not divided in those places. There's not a little bit of God here on the earth and a little bit of God on Mars and a little bit of God in the galaxies, the far off galaxies. No, God exists in all of his totality. He exists in the completeness of his being in every place. But Satan is created. Satan is a local being. He can only be in one place at one time. And so you might ask, well, how does he keep up with all the evil in the world? How does he tempt everyone? And the answer is he doesn't. Satan can't personally tempt everyone. He can't be present in your house and be in your neighbor's house and someone in China's house all at the same time. So how is it then that all of these people are tempted? Well, this is the reason that Satan has so much help. Verse number 12 describes his help. There's one third of all created angels that help him. Now, I don't know how many that is, but it's enough that Satan's influence is ubiquitous. He can't be everywhere at once. But his influence through these multitudes of evil angels is everywhere so that it appears that Satan is everywhere at once. Satan is the one who directs all of this. You, you might ask, have, have, or I would ask, have you ever been personally tempted by Satan? And the answer to that is probably not. But it really doesn't make a difference because all temptation is done at his direction. You're a small fish to fry, and so I think probably that Satan... Uh, spends his time, does his personal work on people perhaps like Nancy Pelosi and others. He's into the uh, big government and, and uh, those who have personal influence themselves. Satan works on those. This is the being that's known as Satan. Now, he was created as a good angel, but then he fell. And so we no longer necessarily refer to him as Lucifer because that means morning star. Lucifer means a light bearer. But now Satan is darkness. He is all darkness. He is an adversary who with every ounce of his being opposes God and his people. There is no such thing as secondary or tertiary sources of evil. All evil is bound up in Satan. And so every action against God finds its source in the activity of Satan. 
And it all goes back to that original rebellion and then to the subsequent temptation in the Garden of Eden. And so there are these billions of fallen angels, but none of them is the source of evil. None of them acts independently of Satan. And so this is the reason that God spends time with Satan and we're warned to watch out for him. The Bible never describes how that God fights secondary sources of evil. The concentration of evil is in Satan so that when he is destroyed, evil goes with him. When Satan is defeated, all evil angels are sucked into the black hole of his judgment. Well, let's take a few minutes to discuss more of what the Bible says about him and uh, about his commitment to the war against God and us. Now, at a later time, we will discuss how Satan works. Uh, that's in another message. But we're going to concentrate a little bit more now on just who is he? Who is he? Number two in our outline is Satan's description. Now, I have mentioned that he is the adversary. Satan means adversary. And this is the most often used name for him in the Bible. In fact, of all created beings, Satan is spoken of more in the Bible than any other. Now, Christ is the central figure of the Bible. More is said about him. But Christ is not a created being. And so Satan stands out as a focus of attention. And let me say that a major reason for this is because Satan is anti-Christ. Every work that Christ does, Satan opposes. And so if Christ's work is the major focus of Scripture, then we would expect that everything anti-Christ would go along with that. And you find this to be true when you search the Scriptures, that when the Scriptures mention the work of Christ, what he does for us, it often mentions the reciprocal work of Satan against us. Now, in Christ's personal ministry, he often referenced Satan. How did he reference him? Well, first he called him the devil. Our text verse in the King James uses the term devil. Devil, we would say, that's his second most popular name. He's described that way 35 times in Scripture. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the Bible says it was the devil that tempted him. And several times in that story, he's called the devil. When Jesus spoke to the unbelieving Jews, he said their father was the devil. And that's an important distinction for us to note because not all people are the children of God. There is no such thing as the universal fatherhood of God because Jesus said there are some people who have the devil as their father. Now, there is only one devil, although the King James Version often uses the plural devils. The Bible speaks of casting out devils. In, in the book of James, it says the devils believe and tremble. Sometimes the King James uses devil singular, and it's obvious in that context at times that Satan is not the one who is referenced. And so a better translation of devil is demon. Modern translations clarify this. Demons refer to the evil angels that fell with Satan. Now, there is much said about demon activity in Scripture. Uh, demons possessed people. Demons hurt people. They often scared the wits out of people. 
And I think it's interesting that when demons entered and possessed a person, it was demons, not Satan, that personally entered them. I'll explain why that's true just a moment ago. Satan can't do every act of evil personally. He can't be everywhere personally. And so in cases of demon possession, they're not a personal act of Satan. But there is an act, there is a case when Satan personally did enter a person, and that was Judas. In John 13, 27, it was the momentous occasion of the Last Supper, and this is when Judas would betray the Lord to the Jewish authorities. This was Satan's biggest moment, you might say, on the world stage. It was his signature moment to try to destroy the Son of God. And so Satan went to work personally. In John 13:27, it says, And after the sop, this is at the Last Supper, after the sop, Satan entered into him, that is, into Judas. Then Jesus said unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now, even though demon possession did not mean that, that Satan was in others personally, we can confidently say it was like Satan being there, because all of this demonic activity is superintended by him. Demon possession is an interesting subject. Every few years, there, there's a Hollywood movie that comes out with a storyline about demon possession. Uh, people are interested in that. Evil and darkness attract people. Jesus said that's natural. John 3:19, he said people love darkness rather than light. And so there is this morbid curiosity about demons. And I would have to say it's far better that you don't get interested in demons. But people are curious about them and they want to know, uh, is it possible to be possessed by a demon today? Now, I, I don't see any indication from Scripture that demon possession stopped. I mean, I've seen many teenagers that make me believe it for sure. And I do think that some of the wild, ecstatic speech, some of the very, very strange things that go on in charismatic churches... I think can be identified as the activity of demons. In ancient pagan cultures and in some non-Christian cultures today, there is ecstatic speech that's caused by demons. And so when you see something that's strange, that's not supported by the scripture, then you can count on that being Satan who mimics the work of God. Satan uses demons to throw people off and the devil's religion is alive and well, even among those who call themselves Christians. And I think there might be a threefold reason that there was more identifiable demon activity in the time of Jesus. Well, first, Jesus and the apostles could identify it. I mean, there may be more demon possession going on today than we think, but we might not know it because... Uh, we can't determine at times when a demon is present. But Jesus and the apostles knew this for sure. They knew when demons were at work. There was no guesswork with them because Jesus could spot a demon like you can spot a roach. Now, secondly, perhaps there was more because Satan was harder at work during Jesus' life more than any other time. And that's because Jesus was here in the flesh. And Satan thought that he could do more 
against Christ because of the weakness of human flesh. And so we find Satan tempting Christ, tempting him with things like pride and food and disobedience, going after the weakness of the flesh. And then thirdly, it may be that God just allowed more demon activity. And that was to show, it was to show that, that Jesus has power over demons. He demonstrated the power of God by exercising uh, demons, casting them out of people. None of the Jews had that power, even though they claimed they did. Their exorcists said that they did. An example of this is in Acts chapter 19. I mean, let me read this to you because it's quite interesting. In Acts the 19th chapter, uh, beginning in verse 13, it says, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Siva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. That is, these are men that are trying to cast out demons. And so they're working on this one particular demon. And this evil spirit speaks. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now, my recommendation is that if you aren't Jesus or an apostle, then don't try to take on a demon. Jesus could cast them out, and that shows that he was truly God. Now, naturally, all this talk about demons and demon possession raises the question of whether it's possible for a Christian to be possessed with a demon. And, and I think in, in my position as pastor, I'm uniquely qualified to say that I am convinced that there are church members or not true Christians who act like the spawn of Satan. And, and those of you that do, you know what I'm talking about. Can a Christian be possessed with the demon? Well, the answer to that question is no. Now, the Bible says that we wrestle with demons, we fight against demons, but there is no fear that a demon can get inside you. And there is one major reason why this is not possible, and it's because the Holy Spirit lives in a Christian. According to 1 Corinthians 6:19, uh, there it says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so for a, a demon to enter you, he would need to bind the Holy Spirit and throw him out of his temple. Jesus said that a strong man binds a weaker man so they can enter his house and spoil his goods. And so for Satan to enter, he would need to be stronger than the Holy Spirit. And if Satan could do that, then we can just stop talking about this now because none of us has any hope. Satan will win this war, and for sure nobody would be able to escape one of his demons. Now, another interesting point about demons, uh, is it possible for us to cast them out? Could you do an exorcism? Well, I've heard preachers claim that it can be done. I tend to believe that casting out demons was an apostolic power, that it no longer exists today. And so if a demon needs to be removed, God will do it through prayer. We, we can't speak to demons and cast them out, but I think that we can pray about it 
And we depend on God to overcome demons when he saves people. And so there isn't some sort of a hocus-pocus formula that you go through uh, like Catholic priests that you see in the movies use. There is no formula for that. Holy water thrown on a demon will not cause a demon to puke green vomit. Now, for this, I refer you to Matthew 12:26, where Jesus said, And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And so I would maintain that a Catholic priest could never cast out a demon because Satan's priests don't cast out Satan. If they could, then Satan's kingdom would be divided, and then, according to Jesus, it would fall apart. Now, another term that's used for Satan in the Scriptures is that Satan is called a prince. What kind of prince is he? Well, you could call him Prince Charming, if you like, because he's a dashing, charming fellow, not at all like most people picture him. Now, he is sinister. There's no doubt about that. But he never appears in that evil mode. Instead, he makes you think he's the best person that there is, like he's better than sliced bread. He's your friend. He cares for you. In Ephesians 2, verse 2, Paul said he is the prince and power of the air. In John 12, 20 and 31, it says he is the prince of this world. In Matthew 12... The Pharisees referred to him as Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Beelzebub, that, that is an interesting term. In Jesus' time, uh, this was a name, an interchangeable name, that was used for Satan. The original meaning of that word takes us back into the Old Testament and the worship of the Canaanite god Baal. Baal was one of the main deities of the Philistines. His name translates into Lord of the Flies or Lord of Things That Fly. Now, as the prince of evil, Satan has been pictured in many forms. People use their imagination to try to picture Satan. And one of these is the image of Baphomet. Maybe you've heard of that. Baphomet is another of the interchangeable names that's used for Satan. And this is the picture that you often see in scary movies. This is where Satan has horns and he has wings. He has the head of a goat and the body of a man. He has feet like a goat. But you won't find that description of Satan anywhere in the Bible. You see, the problem with describing Satan's physical appearance is that he has no physical appearance. He's a spirit being. Spirits don't have horns and faces and goat's feet. So when you see descriptions of angels in the Bible, uh, these are what angels look like when God allows them to take on a bodily form. And so the issue with Satan is when and if he decides to take on a bodily form, what form would he take? Well, why would he appear as Baphomet? Why would he appear in such a way to scare everyone? No, what Satan would rather do is to take a deceptive form like he did in the Garden of Eden. And so if he appeared today, he would still be in that deceptive mode. He wouldn't come to us in a frightening way. He wouldn't do anything which scare us away. He wants, a, he wants to attract us to him. Now, one of the most dangerous aspects of the enemy is the favorable, likable way that he appears. He never appears as our enemy. Now, the closest that any scripture comes to a description of him is when it says that he appears as an angel of light. 
But I think that's more about his activity than it is his physical appearance. In Ezekiel, there are descriptions of what he looked like as Lucifer, but there's nothing in that scripture about his face or his bodily form, except it says that he was the anointed cherub that covered. Now, demons in Revelation appear as horrible creatures, and God makes them show up that way, and that's for the purpose of scaring people. Calvin's opinion was that when Satan fell, the image of God was destroyed in him. And I think that is certainly true, but the image of God doesn't mean physical appearance. And so what I'm saying is that if Satan were to show up in your bedroom tonight, he's not going to come and stick you with a pitchfork. He won't gore you with one of his horns. Now, I can assure you that if Satan were to appear to you, that he would appear in a very likable form. We can say about Satan that he is a chameleon. I apologize to chameleons for that reference. All chameleons say, no, Satan is a snake, but he is a chameleon. That means he appears in multiple ways. Now, to give you another indication of Satan's power and why the warfare against him is so difficult, the scriptures also say that he is a god. Now, that's God with a little g. And, uh, I, and, and what we read in 2 Corinthians a little while ago, I asked you to pay attention to this, where it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now, let me take just a moment to, to get theological on you. Uh, these scriptures are excellent opportunities for teaching. Satan is called a God who can blind the mind against the truth. He can keep truth out so that no one can understand it. He keeps the gospel from penetrating the heart. And this verse is very clear about that. He is a God. And I want you to get that because the Bible doesn't use that term for nothing. He has more power than you can fathom. If you think of gods, you think of power. He's always working. He doesn't stop working. He won't let his guard down, especially when there is a person who is sitting under the preaching of the gospel. Whenever the gospel goes out, whenever it's preached, that's when Satan goes into overdrive mode and he works his hardest to keep that gospel from penetrating the heart. And so he distorts the message as it goes. He throws up smoke screens. He can make you sleepy so that you won't listen. He'll distract you in multitudes of ways. Your mind will wonder. Suddenly your, uh, your chair becomes uncomfortable. You fidget in that chair. You, you watch the person who's in front of you as whatever he's doing. You get angry about what you hear. And even sometimes you'll say, I wish that I could be up there in that pulpit. I could do a much better job than that guy who's preaching. And all of this stuff goes on when the gospel is preached. Satan working and working and working to keep your mind blinded to the gospel of Christ. Now, here is the issue. The God of this world and all the forces of hell stand opposed to the preacher as he preaches and to the person as he listens. Satan works in spiritual places that you can't see and in places where you have no ability to fight. 
And then on top of that problem, the Bible says that you are inherently depraved. And Satan exploits that depravity in every conceivable way. You can't see because Satan blinds spiritual eyes. And you don't even want to see because people love darkness rather than light. So you get the picture. And yet while you are in this indefensible position, there's some preachers that say that it really doesn't matter. You have the power to overcome the darkness. You have the power to overcome the God of this world. And you can change from darkness to light. And they say it's easy to believe. Is that true? The devil is against you. His demons are against you. Your depravity is against you. You hate God. You love darkness. The gospel is pure foolishness to you. Ah, but you need not worry about that because the preacher... The preacher has three points and a can to prayer, and he can fix all of it. Just listen, just repeat the prayer, and Satan will lay down like a whipped dog and leave you alone. Is that true? Could that possibly be true? Well, that's true in Satan's world, but not God's. Satan would love for you to think that it's all that simple, that you really don't need to worry about him. Oh, he will give up easily. He gives up easily. Is that what the scriptures say? Is that why the Bible calls him a God? And so do you understand this? The penetrating light of the gospel of Christ can't shine into your heart because Satan is too powerful. And so it takes a being in the supernatural world to combat an enemy who is in the supernatural world. Now, thank God there is someone who's stronger than Satan. Thank God that his power is greater and he uses his power. To deliver us from the God of this world. In Colossians chapter 1. It says giving thanks unto the father. Which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Who hath delivered us. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. And hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now in the text of 2 Corinthians 4. The sixth verse says that when Satan blinds the mind to the gospel, that God commands the light to shine out of the darkness and to shine light into the heart. You do nothing, and you can do nothing about your unbelief. God overcomes the darkness to deliver us. And so if you are to get out from under Satan's thumb... You must have a God who is more powerful than him. You must have a God who removes the blinders from the eyes and overcomes all these evil powers of darkness, who overcomes your depraved will and draws you to him. Now, Satan's power is unparalleled. You'll never come to Jesus Christ unless God does it. And so the point of all of this is that salvation is in the Lord. You'll not do anything yourself to get to heaven, even you're repenting and believing. It won't happen, not until God pries away the blinders and grants repentance and faith. And there's only one person who can do that for you. The Holy Spirit, through the matchless grace of God, opens blinded eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let me give you one more description of Satan found in the Bible. Fourthly, he is called a ruler. In the 12th verse, For we wrestle not 
against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, in the order of elect angels, there is a hierarchy. And there is also one with evil angels. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness. This refers to the hierarchy of evil angels. Now, in the book of Daniel, the hierarchy of both good and evil angels is referenced. Now, if you'll take your Bible now and turn to Daniel chapter 10, here is a fascinating scripture because Daniel gives us a glimpse into the backstory of what goes on in the spiritual world. I mean, these are these are things that we have no idea that that's happening. This takes place behind the scenes in areas you can't see. Now, in chapter 10, Daniel describes how his prayers were hindered by an evil angel. This was a powerful angel, more powerful than most of the demons. Uh, Satan has his rank and file minions, but he also has generals that control areas of the earth. And these angels are heads of demon armies like battalion commanders. Well, Daniel was accosted by one of these powerful angels. Now, Daniel himself, of course, was a powerful prophet of God, and he was met with powerful resistance. Again, these are things that go on in the spiritual world that you don't know about. In Daniel 10, verse 8, this is what Daniel writes. He says, Therefore, I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand, and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Well, let me explain the scene. Daniel, the prophet of God, was praying for help. God heard his prayers. And he dispatched an angel to assist him. But this angel was hindered by a more powerful evil angel. An angel who was head over the area of the earth where Daniel was. And that was in Persia. Well, the good angel didn't have enough power to overcome the evil angel. And so in verse number 12, Michael the archangel, one of the chief angels of heaven, came to help fight against this evil angel. Now, there we have an indication of the angelic hierarchy. On both sides, there are some angels that are more powerful than other angels. Satan stands as the chief angel of all demons. And Michael, perhaps, he's the chief angel of all the good elect angels. Now, if we, if we could turn to the New Testament book of Jude, 
Here is another amazing scripture. And in this scripture, there are angels that are going head to head in a cosmic battle. And, and I, I wanted to show you this so you can see the respect that Michael the archangel has for Satan's power. In Jude, verse number 9, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him, that is against the devil, a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Now here we have a dispute between the two most powerful angels, Michael and Lucifer. Michael the archangel, Satan the evil angel, the chief angel square off in a head-to-head -head confrontation over the body of Moses. Well, what was this dispute about? Well, the Bible doesn't say what it was about, but that never stops us from speculating about it. Uh, I have a good guess, I think, along with others. Do you remember what happened to Moses? How did Moses die? Well, he wasn't killed in a battle. He didn't die of old age. He didn't die of disease. Well, Moses died when he was still robust and healthy. Well, how did that happen? Well, very clearly, the scripture says that God took his life. Now, before Israel went into the promised land, God took Moses to the top of Pisgah in the range of Nebo, and he took his life and he buried him. And his body was buried where no one could find it. Why did God do that? Well, that's a good question. God said Moses was such a great prophet that he was the only one that he would speak to face to face. So Moses was highly unique uh, in Scripture. You see that he's revered above all the prophets, so much so that the Jews never claimed that they were Jeremiah's disciples. And they never said, we are Isaiah's disciples or any other prophet's disciples. But they did say, we are Moses' disciples. And so with such a great prophet in their midst, what do you think that Israel would have done if they had the body of Moses? Well, they would have become the first Roman Catholics because they would have taken his bones and made relics of them to worship. Now, it may be that Satan wanted Moses' body to tempt Israel into idolatry. And there we would have perhaps the greatest mockery that Satan could make of God. Could he take the body of God's most beloved and revered prophet and get Israel to worship it. What irony that would be. Now it may be that Michael was the guard for Moses' body and Satan wanted it, but Michael wouldn't give it up. Now we notice in this scripture in Jude how the dispute ended. Michael would not take on Satan. Not, not at this time. So he held back and he said, let the Lord take care of you. Well, there could have been an explosive battle right then that rocked the foundations of the earth. But Michael withdrew and he said, let the Lord deal with you. And do you know what? Satan never got Moses' body. And still nobody knows where the body is buried. Satan would take on Michael, but he would not take on Christ. And so this makes Ephesians 6.10 just a stunning statement where it says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. His power is greater than all. 
We're in a war that we can't win without supernatural power. There is no temptation that we can resist. There is no enemy that we can defeat because the adversary, the devil, who's the head of all this, the prince and the power of the air, the God of this world, he is simply too much for us. We can't overcome him. But he's not too much for God. He's not remotely powerful enough to beat us, defeat us, with God on our side. When God is on the side of the spiritual warrior, that warrior can never be defeated. Now, Satan is a creature. He is a creature that far back in the beginning in Eden, God said that his son would crush his head. Did you know that recognizing this truth about Satan will lead you to Jesus Christ? Satan is God's best testimony to the saving power of Jesus Christ. To whom else can we go? Who can help us? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And so, Christian friends, you must be aware that we are in a fight. There is warfare that takes place in the spiritual world, and you are in this conflict whether you know it or want to be in it. You can't avoid it. There's an enemy that lurks around every corner, and that enemy is constantly trying to destroy your faith. And so you must make sure that you fight the good fight and you lay hold on eternal life. Now, in these next verses, there is an outline for defeating Satan. Every part of the outline, each weapon, and each defense that is described requires the Christian's personal participation your soldiers and so you must be trained and this is what the word of God is doing for us here it's training us to be soldiers and we must be faithful to fight these spiritual battles now we've not been able to be in church for weeks and for months this is not the time to check out this is not the time to lose hope it is not the time to lay down and act as if There's no problem here, as if the devil has nothing to do with any of this that's going on. Oh, more certainly the devil is in this. The devil is working in this. He has a battle plan. And so we need to show him we have no intentions of surrendering. We will fight. We will fight to the last man, to the last woman, to the last teenager, to the last child who is a believer in Jesus Christ. This is Christ's church. And we are defenders of the faith and will not give up because our victory is assured. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come thanking you for the power of Jesus Christ and the salvation that we have in him. It's no secret that the devil is at work in this world. We look around us and we see all of the evil that takes place. We see things now at things that we've never seen before as Christians in this country. And it appears that the devil's getting a stronger and stronger foothold every day. That he has his demons that are working overtime trying to destroy the faith of Christians. We see our government doing things we never thought they would do. We see policies of political parties that are unfathomable that never, never in our, in our lifetimes we would imagine it would come to some of the things that we see going on now. 
Lord, we know that we have someone on our side who's much greater than Satan. We know that we can have the victory through Jesus Christ and our faith in him. And so I pray, Lord, that what you will do for Christians is to strengthen us. Pray that you would prepare us for the battle. Help us to depend on you, to know that we can't fight this by ourselves, that we need your almighty power or we'll never survive. And then for, for people that don't know you as Savior, they're, they're not aware of all these things that go on. And people uh, need to be saved. The wickedness of the world is so great and the eyes are so blinded that it takes your power to open up the heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would do that. We pray that you would open some eyes and folks would understand the wickedness that goes on around us and then what happens because of that wickedness, that souls are on their way to hell and the devil is all too pleased to help make that happen. Lord, we pray that you turn our hearts to you. Bless our church. We do want to be back in church. Uh, we, we'd love to be fighting the devil from this place right here every week as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let's let's understand this very clearly that, Lord, you're not just in a building. You're with every believer in Christ, that you're in our lives. The Holy Spirit dwells in us and we can fight this fight no matter where we are. Help us, Lord, to remember that and to trust in you always. Father, we give you the praise for all things. Bless our people. Keep everyone safe. And we pray, Lord, very soon we'll meet together in this place, in this building of Berean Baptist Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And now I'd like to give you a, a, a final benediction for today. And this comes from uh, the book of Jude, in the end of the book of Jude, where we just read about this spiritual warfare, this conflict that's going on. And it's good news as this chapter, one chapter of Jude ends in verse number 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. These types of scriptures were written by men who were in the midst of terrible persecution. They encourage us not to give up, even as they didn't give up. So we would tell you, Christians, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And very soon, we'll hope, we hope to be together Will we fight the battle shoulder to shoulder right here in Brian Baptist Church. Go with God. God be with you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Groner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.